If you have your uh, Bibles, we will be in, well, we're going to start in Genesis today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 9. Yeah, Genesis chapter 9. So uh, we're taking a, a short break as the seasons change from our series in Matthew. Uh, about God's upside down kingdom. Uh, and we're taking a break because it is Lent. Lent is something the church has observed for a very, very long time. It's just a season to consider our sinfulness, our mortality. Uh, basically, a time to really focus on our need for rescue as we get ready for Easter. Uh, for the celebration of Easter. So uh, the, the fasting uh, uh, makes the feasting sweeter. Does that make sense? And so we're just preparing ourselves. Now, are, are these things that we could focus on any time of the year? For sure. Are these things that uh, we should think about all the time? Absolutely. But I don't. And so to have a season that reminds me that these things are profitable for me has been very, very helpful to me. So we're going to talk, we're going to talk this morning uh, about uh, two, two things. If you were just like, if I was going to make a list of passages to preach on, uh, uh, and I did the top 700, these would not make the list. Uh, but it, they're appropriate, and they're good, and they're helpful for us. So I, I'm really excited about, about looking at them. So uh, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to spend this season reflecting, um, talking about what it means to reflect on our existence, reflect on how we live, how we live in a world that's messed up, right? Especially when some of the messed up is inside of me, right? Is my own hurt and my own brokenness. And uh, how am I supposed to make sense of a world that's this way? And um, to figure out in his story that God is committed to us, committed to his church, committed to me, committed to his creation in a way that is unreal. Um, it's just fascinating. So let's, let's read this. I'm going to read Genesis um, 9. Let's read. Yeah, let's do. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 7. This is after the flood. There's been this world, this, this flood, this huge flood, and, and everything has been wiped out. And uh, Noah and his family come out of the ark. And uh, this is what God says. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. So this, is, this goes back to the beginning of, of Scripture. God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. So you have this, again, after the flood, Noah and his family come out of the ark, and God repeats this, this command. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make with, between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and this shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. 
When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all, of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. So um, in the Bible, uh, one of the ways that God talks about his relationship with us is is covenants. Um, Humans were created by God to to rule. It says in Genesis when he, when he makes everything, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So when God made humans, he said, your job is to rule over the earth. Your job is to take birds, fish, beasts, all this stuff, you will have dominion. I've made all of this and I'm putting you in charge as my image over all of things. But, but it, it goes wrong because humans don't want to do that. We don't, they don't want to flourish that way, God's way. They decide they want their own way. God's made all these promises and these beautiful blessings that he will bless them with and they decide to take a shortcut. They're tricked into, into taking a shortcut. And so they, they rebel against God and, and something inside of them and in the world is broken. And so sin and corruption and injustice enter this world that God has made. And so he does this amazing thing and he, he doesn't abandon the earth, right? He doesn't abandon these humans. It gets so bad, as a matter of fact, that he says, listen, I'm gonna wipe out everything. It's getting so bad, the earth is getting so bad, it says that the, the, every thought of, of man was evil all the time. And God hates sin, and he hates the evil, and he hates the hurt that is done, and he says, I'm just gonna wipe, it's, I'm gonna wipe out everything, but he saves Noah, this one guy, Noah. And uh, he says he's going to do something, and, and, and he enters into this covenant here. Uh, there's actually in the Old Testament probably four covenants. Some people say five. I'm going to say four for today. Four covenants uh, that you see in the Old Testament. Uh, one of them is the covenant with Abraham. God goes to this guy named Abraham and says, listen, here's how I'm going to fix the world. I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this promised land, and I promise that through you, this is the covenant I'm making with you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Here's what you need to do. Circumcise your kids. Teach them to follow my rules. Teach them to follow my ways, all right? The next covenant he makes is with the nation of Israel. So years down the, down the road, the descendants of Abraham find themselves as slaves, and God brings them out of slavery. He takes them to Mount Sinai, and he makes a covenant with them. He says, here's the deal. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. You are going to represent me. This is my covenant. You're going to represent me to the rest of creation, right? And I give you my laws, you obey them, and I will bless you. And it doesn't go great. It goes real bad, as a matter of fact, almost immediately. The next one, God doesn't abandon them. When the descendant of Abraham comes from this Israel line, uh, there's the next covenant that God makes is what we call the Davidic covenant. It's with this guy named David. He was the second king of Israel. And God said to David, hey, here's the deal. You lead 
teach your descendants to lead as king, and I'm going to make sure that there is a descendant of you on the throne forever. One day, one of your kids, a descendant of you, will rule forever and bring the peace that I'm bringing to Israel to the whole world. God seems committed to bringing this relationship with him and this peace to the whole world. Again, it does not go good. It goes real bad, as a matter of fact. Uh, but these covenants that he's made, uh, the first one that we really see is this, this one, Noah. Before any of those, there's this covenant that he makes with Noah. And one of the interesting things about this covenant is um, God destroyed everything because of the evil. He, it's, he decreates, right? So in creation, it says that God uh, made the waters recede and the land appeared. And so you have this decreation, God uncreating because of all of the harm and the hate and the evil everywhere. But this one man, Noah, finds favor in God's sight. Uh, it, matter of fact, it's, uh, it describes him this way in Genesis 6. It says that uh, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And it tells us in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, the New Testament author in Hebrews, tells us why. He says that he was saved because of faith. Hebrews eleven seven By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah, God he finds favor in God's sight. And Hebrews tells us the reason he finds favor in God's sight is because he has faith. And you know he has faith. You know how you know he has faith? Because he built the ark. <laughs> because the thing that he believed in his heart made it to his hands, right? It's not that he built the ark that God saved him. He had faith. And because he had faith, he did what God said and he saves him. So God delivers him and he saves him. And then he makes this covenant um, these covenants are God's way of, I'm going to say, entering into partnership with humans. Partnership, though, can sometimes mean equal. It's not equal. <laughs> it's all God. But he, maybe, it's, maybe it's more accurate to say that God is going to use humans in his plan to restore our relationship with him. Yeah, so but it feels like God makes it sound like he's entering into this partnership. But what's crazy about it is that, especially this, this covenant here, is that Noah doesn't ask for it. God just does it. He just initiates it. It doesn't say that like, they get out of the flood, there's flood, everything's everywhere, it's crazy. He's been on this boat with all these smelly animals for forever and it's been terrifying and he's been there with his family for like eight people. There's like so many of them, like it's a long time to be on a boat with family. And so he's on this boat and it finally stops and he gets out and he doesn't say, hey God, that was real rough. How about you promise not to do that ever again? And God's like, well, I don't know, I guess I could do that. And he's like, I'm gonna need you to write something down, please. He doesn't do that. God just says, hey, Noah, here's the deal. I promise you that I am never, and everyone after you and all of the earth, that I am never going to decreate because of evil ever again. Very interesting. Why? It seems to be that's just what God's like. Noah 
didn't do anything. He didn't ask for it. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He just believed in God. And God said, I'm going to save you. I'm going to place you in this ark. You're going to go through the storm. And at the end, I'm never going to do that again. And why does God do that? Because God's just like that. He's gracious. You can't earn. You don't earn. He just initiates and gives salvation. That's unbelievable. He, he initiates and he gives salvation. God is like this. He is gracious. He gives what's not deserved, what's not owed. And then he says, I'm going to put this sign for you in the sky. I'm going to put the sign in the sky. It's going to be this, this bow uh, in, in the sky. And that's, that's good for him, right? It's good for us uh, that when... I mean, like, I, Noah probably had some PTSD, right? Like, every time it rained, he's like, you know? I mean, because of what he went through, right? So every time the storm clouds gather, God says, There's a, there'll be, I'll put my bow in the sky, and you'll know that I promise I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to decreate again. But what's also interesting about this, that this is good for him. It's assurance for him, and it's assurance for us, but... What's interesting about it is God says he's going to put it up there, not so that Noah remembers, but when God sees it, he'll remember. Not that God's going to forget, but when God says he remembers, it always means he's going to act. When God sees the bow, when we see the bow in the sky, we know that God sees it and he'll remember. Here's why this is significant. I think. Here's why this helps me. It'd be a tough situation for me if my salvation, it'd be a tough situation for me if my sanity and my assurance of safety was dependent on me remembering. It's dependent on God remembering. When I forget, when I don't act right, it doesn't mean that all of the promises fall apart because God sees and God remembers. It depends on God acting. He says, I'm going to see this and I'll never do it again, no matter what you do. God's made his promise. This is amazing. God has committed himself to humanity by making these covenants, by making these promises, he is committing and tying himself by the promises he makes to our eternity. God just makes promises and says, I am knitting myself to you and my creation. Why? Because that's how I am. Because I care that much about you. Wait, but I, I didn't even ask for that. That's right. But I know that you need it. I know that you care. And I am knitting myself to you in this way. It doesn't depend on me remembering. My face isn't increased when I see the rainbow. But my assurance is because I know that God's promises and he, his promise and he will act. He will never, ever forget. But here's the problem. God's promise that he's never going to deal with sin by decreating. He's never going to deal with the evilness by decreating the earth again. But there's still evil. Like bad stuff still happens. As I'm, not only does bad stuff still, still happen, but the first thing that really happens after, that we're told happens after this, is uh, Noah makes a sacrifice. And then he plants a vineyard, and, and as soon as it grows grapes, he makes wine and gets hammered. 
and passes out. And then something weird happens between him and his son and he curses him forever. We didn't get some kind of new man where this Noah is this perfect person. Like he's, we're immediately told in the story that he is a broken, sinful man. Sin still exists not only in the world, but it exists inside of us still. And if God's not going to decreate to deal with it, then what, what is he going to do? And we see this pattern, though, already established here in the story of God making this covenant, of how God deals with us. He graciously rescues those who have faith from wrath, from his anger at sin. And sometimes he gives us a sign, right? He puts the bow in the sky. Hey, I'm not going to do that again. And then you go to the Passover, right? A little bit later, uh, Moses is, is going to lead these people out, and God sends the plagues uh, to Egypt, against Egypt, and he's going to lead the people of Israel out. And God says, I want you to take the blood, I want you to take a lamb, uh, and I want you to kill it, and I want you to put the blood above the door. And so in this, this Passover moment, this, this sign, the smearing of the blood above the doorposts of the homes uh, is the sign. And what happens is when the angel of death comes, wherever the blood over, is over the door, the angel passes by. For both Noah and the Hebrews in Egypt, when God sees the, the, the sign, his disaster is averted and they are saved. Beautiful, right? There's this pattern that we see that God deals with his people with grace. He delivers those that have faith enough to put the blood over the door. He delivers those because he is them because he is gracious. And that's how we see God begin to deal with humanity all the way through scripture. But how am I supposed to live and be in a world where because of sin, my sin, the sin of others, there's still so much suffering and hurt, right? The flood didn't wipe away sin. The flood didn't wipe away pain and hurt. We live in a world full of suffering. Uh, in the passage that was read earlier uh, in First Peter, Peter's writing to Christians who are suffering thousands of years later. Uh, And he says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that's eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Let me me just stop right there for a second. Um, Yeah, I don't know either. Like the questions that you have right now, I also have. I, I, uh, Martin Luther said about this passage, this is marvelous and beautiful and I have no idea what it means. Uh, yeah, so uh, he, uh, we don't know. This is hard to understand. Um, the details are hard. What he's saying is not hard to understand. What he's saying is that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. So Christ suffered, right? And he put to death in the flesh, right? He, was put, he died, but he was made alive again with this marvelous body that was both physical and spiritual. Uh, he ate after, he was, uh, after the resurrection. He ate, but he also just appeared in rooms, right? He, like, he was physical and somehow also 
not tied just by the rules of, uh, of this world. But, but he's made alive spiritually, and, and then he did this thing. I don't know where he went to proclaim spirits. I, I think what's going on is that this, in the same spirit, Christ, Christ spoke. The truth that Christ preached was always preached, even during the time of Noah. But he says this. They entered into the ark. The ark was prepared, and they entered into this ark, and they were saved through this. Baptism corresponds to that now. The salvation that Noah experienced and his family experienced by faith, God's grace, is the same way that we are saved now. Baptism reminds of this. It corresponds with this. Not that it doesn't remove, it doesn't save you, like removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are baptized and somehow that unites us to the resurrected Jesus Christ who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Because of sin, bad stuff still happens in this world. Bad stuff happened to Jesus, and there's so many ways for us to suffer in this life. You can hurt your back in the gym, right? Like, that's suffering, yeah? You get old. I'm doing much better, by the way. Thank you. Uh, you You can get sick. You can do poorly on a test. You can suffer because relationships are hard and can disappoint. You can suffer because of your own sin. And you can suffer because of the sins of others. You can suffer because someone that you love suffers. There's so much, so many ways to suffer in this world. And there's so much tragedy and there's so much sin. And what this says is that God hid Noah in the ark. And the pattern is set up and established that as we go through scripture that God will take us and he will protect them by faith. He will hide them. Um, hiding is something that, that we do, something that humans do. I mean, kids, I don't know, it's, it's, it's so cute. Like kids just love to hide, right? Kids do. And it's cute when they're young because they're, they're bad at it. It's cute when they're bad at it. When they get good at it, it's scary. But when they're bad at it, it's cute, right? Because they're hiding in the most obvious place in the world, right? And so you go, you go find them. But uh, they hide and they get older. It's something that they do. And, and then it's fun because they're, they're playing a game. But it's also something as they get older that they do. And you always hide someplace that you feel safe. And sometimes it's even illogical. As a matter of fact, uh, there's lots of, of tragedy. We were taught this as kids, and, and I was reading about it this week, that, that there, are, there are tragic things that happen that sometimes when something, for example, like a, a, a fire happens, and kids don't know what to do, they get scared, and they go and they hide in where they feel safe. And that can be tragic. Because we just default when we don't know what to do to hiding. It's just human nature. I, I don't know that we grow out of that. I think that when we become afraid, we hide in all kinds of things. I, I hide in distraction all the time. Well, this is terrible. I don't think I want to deal with that. I'll watch this. 
I don't want to deal with this. I'll do this instead. Or I try to hide in success. Everything will be okay. I'm scared about the future. I'm afraid of the future, so I'm going to hide in success. I'm going to bury my head in the sand. Or I'm going to try to hide over here, and, 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 and I'm going to hang on and protect. I'll hide inside of my control, or I'll hide and try to manage every, by managing every little thing. And we hide all of these different places, our, very much, our, our fear of being alone alone, our fear of not being able to handle the future, our fear of all that life brings, of all the suffering and all the trials, we end up hiding in all of these different places, and they don't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that we hide these places, because when real tragedy comes, when real hurt comes, when real suffering comes, they can't protect us, and we just end up getting hurt hiding in things, hiding in relationships, hiding in places, hiding in things that we think can keep us safe, but don't. And what Peter is saying is, like God took Noah and he placed him in the ark and he hid him there as the waters rose, he just floated right above it and God kept him safe through those troubles and through those trials. God takes us and by faith, what he's saying is he hides us in Jesus who is safe in heaven so that no matter what happens here, including death itself, no matter how high the waters come up and how, much, how high they get, that we float safely above them because we are held. Our eternity, our soul, the core of who we are, everything that we are, our future and everything is held safe in Jesus. Why? Because of faith and faith alone because of God's grace and nothing else, nothing we can do to earn it. But we hide ourselves. We run to him in trouble. The storms of life do not stop coming for Christians. They still happen. And when they gather and the clouds gather, look, it's not just that it's not just that suffering still comes and Christians are like, well, we got heaven though, we'll just suffer through. That's not actually how it works. It max, a matter, matter of fact, it, the Bible actually says, and Peter actually says in this passage, and, and even earlier he, he explains it even more, that suffering isn't, in a sinful world, it's not just taken away, but it's transformed and God uses it. That God uses the suffering. I mean, the cross is the best example of that, right? Uh, Peter's having this moment, uh, and uh, he confesses Jesus as the uh, Savior. Um, uh, Matthew 16, Jesus uh, goes around, and he tells his disciples that he's got to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, that, that can't be right. Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You were a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. How can you go and suffer? And Jesus says, this is the way. This is how it has to be. And, and what Peter is saying is, like Noah was saved by, by, being, by being, being hid in the ark, uh, we're, hid, we're saved by being hidden, hidden in Christ. And that he is now this example that it's just had the way that he goes that we get to go. That his suffering meant so much more than we could have ever dreamed of. It accomplished so much more that when we face suffering, it's not just something that God, it's not punishment necessarily, it's not anything that we have to necessarily should feel guilty or bad about, but it's something that God actually uses to transform us. God actually uses, uses suffering 
to change us. It's one of the most amazing things to me about being a Christian is that God uses suffering. He even can use evil. It's amazing. In Genesis 50, there's amazing. It's the end of Genesis. This guy named Joseph, um, God's used him. And, and what happened to, to, to Joseph is... Um, His brothers didn't like him, and his brothers uh, sold him into slavery, and he goes through just like decades of being away from his family, being a slave. He went through a long, long time of suffering, but God uses him in Egypt where he's been sold, and he actually uses... um, uses Joseph in this amazing way. And, and his brothers uh, are the reconnected there. There's a famine in the land and they actually have to go to Egypt to get food and they uh, meet Joseph and they don't recognize him because he looks so different. He looks like an Egyptian instead of like an Israelite, like a descendant of Abraham. He looks very different. And uh, so, but he brings him in, he weeps, he, he accepts them and he brings the whole family to Egypt and God actually saves them this way. Uh, and in the end of this though, um, Joseph's dad dies. The whole family's been brought down to Egypt where Joseph rules. And uh, the whole family's brought down and, and their dad dies. And this says this in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us, gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when he spoke to them. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph, but Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be alive as they are today. So don't fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. We are assured when we are held safe in Christ that even when people intend evil against us, that God will somehow use it for our good and our eternal glory. That's how powerful God is, is that when people, even the suffering because of direct evil, people wanting to hurt you, even that suffering, if you were obeying God, if you were living by him, if you were following us, even that suffering, he will turn for our eternal good and eternal glory. We might not get to see it in this lifetime, but he has promised it and has told the story over and over and over again in scripture. We are changed Suffering is actually one of the ways that God shapes us to be who he would have us to be. But we can always be certain. There's this uh, great, there's a sermon, uh, it's called, uh, I think it's called Rainbow. I don't, I don't remember the name of the sermon, but it's uh, uh, this guy named um, Charles Spurgeon, a preacher. Uh, uh, it's just a good, such a good sermon. But he talks about the bow. And, and the, we, we read it rainbow in our head because we know what it is, right? But does it actually say rainbow? It's actually, the word's for a, it's for a war bow. He said, I'm gonna hang my bow in the sky. And Spurgeon says this. He says, when God is done with his wrath, he hangs it up in the sky. The anger, his, his strength and his might, he hangs that bow up in the sky. And we can know that he will never fire his anger, his wrath at sin again at us because it's not pointed at us anymore. It's actually pointed into the heart of heaven. It's 
It's beautiful, right? That we know that we will never suffer, no matter what we suffer here, we will never suffer God's wrath like, like for our sin and our punishment because Christ has already paid that price. That arrow of God's wrath has been shot into the heart of heaven, Jesus himself. So we can know that we will never suffer his wrath and his vengeance against sin because Christ has already paid that. And he gives us a sign. It says in, in Luke, Jesus is talking, and he says this, uh, this is verse uh, 19 uh, of Luke 22. He says that he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. There's this new covenant that surpasses all the other covenants. This covenant in the blood. But it's like the other covenants. God initiates it. I cannot earn it. It is because of his great, great grace. I cannot. And as long as I hide in him and hide in that sacrifice and hide in him, we will be safe no matter the storms that come. And he's given us this sign of the cross, of his son broken, of blood spilled. It's what we celebrate each week when we come and do communion. This sign that he's given us that our sins are forgiven, that the price has been paid, that we are safe in him, that as we hide in him, we have this freedom from sin. And I love that we have communion uh, every week. I I love it so much. It's this this reminder, and it means different things to me, different weeks, there's times when it reminds me of different things. But sometimes as I come to take communion, I I realize realize that my faith is, is weak today, you know? I don't know if you've ever come to communion and thought, I don't know if my faith is weak today. But just like the bow, just like the blood over the doorpost, it's not the strength of my faith that matters. It is the strength of the saving grace and the promises of God that by faith he will rescue us. So we come to the table, we come even when our faith is weak because it's not the strength of our faith that matters but the great, great strength of the God who's promised to save us. He gives us this sign to remember him by, to remember what he has done, to remember that he was broken and blood was spilled so that we could have life. And we hide ourselves in this, in his gracious gift to us that he stood in our place. Yeah, let's pray. Father, I thank you for these truths, for this reality that you have made a way. You have made a way that we could have never dreamed of that you have brought us back to you by taking on flesh, by the eternal becoming killable. But because you were raised again, because Christ was raised again, we know that we can be held safe inside of what he has accomplished for us. So as we come to this table, remind us. Remind us of the forgiveness that we have Remind us that in our suffering, you have not abandoned us, but you use these things to shape us and make us more like Christ as long as we hide in you, as long as when we are scared, we run to you, as long as when we are anxious, we fight to trust in you. So as we come to the table, the body broken and the blood spilled, that we can have life 
we praise you. Shape us. Break our hearts of stone and make them fertile ground for the gospel to take root that we cannot earn. You have freely given. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.